So New City Church, how are we doing this morning? Are we good? I got to shove my emotions down like a man's supposed to, right? It's like, yeah, hold it together, boy. You can cry in the car when nobody's watching. Um, but it's, uh, it, is, it is what it is. Uh, Jay, thank you for the reminder. Aaron and Scott Rival are going to be going with you guys as well. And they are off on a sporting event of some kind this morning. So, uh, or late yesterday, I can't remember. But yeah, they're not, not with us this morning. But yeah, be praying for all those guys. But thank you. You know, it's, it's interesting. You know, last year we were talking about reach the lost, right? It was our seek vision. This year it is send them out. Um, and, and I love the fact that God is like send them out, meaning send you out, send us out. We're going out to, to, actually, no, to reach the lost, to evangelize, to share the gospel, to be on mission, to you name it. And we get a lot of those words and we think in our mindset we've got like, uh, man, I gotta, what does it mean to be on mission? And when somebody tells me to go share the gospel, share my faith, evangelize, uh, I don't even know where to start, right? Did anybody ever felt like that? Like you, you hear these words, I gotta live my life on mission. Okay, what does that mean? Like how does that actually work? What are, like I need some, I need some to-dos, right? I need some instructions to, to be able to figure this out because I just can't figure stuff out, right? So I, so I get... For my, myself, when I hear uh, be on mission or live a missional lifestyle or have a missional community or things like that, I'm like, okay, what does that actually, what do I actually do? I'm kind of one of those weird practical guys that need some instruction, right? So, by the way, um, you guys know I'm weird already. <laughs> so, I didn't have you like tell us something we don't know, right? By the way, when somebody's talking about, we had this uh, announcement about the send-off. I heard a lot of clapping about the send-off. I heard a little bit, but that's, no, actually, it's cool. It's cool. There will be lots and lots and lots of uh, fun times and everything like that. Somebody said, hey, how, when is that, what time does that uh, send-off end? Uh, we decided when the cops get called. <laughs> that cool? Right on, let's go, let's go. But what we want to do is like when we're living on mission, when we're going out, when we're evangelizing, we want to basically be equipped. So the whole idea of E3 is we want to equip everyone to evangelize. And so that's why we call it E3. And we want to be able to define evangelism. If we don't know what it is, we're not going to be able to do it, right? We got to know why we got to evangelize. And for sometimes that's actually individual for a lot of us. Uh, then we got to explore who must evangelize, which we did last week, and we talked a little bit like basically anybody who is saved as part of the kingdom uh, is required, according to Jesus, to be an evangelist. And then we got to learn how, which we'll do that today. And I will tell you, it's a little bit simple, pretty simple, compared to what most people either overcomplicate the, the gospel or they will oversimplify the gospel, but it's pretty straightforward. They'll evangelize in such a way where they say, okay, I don't want to be too, um, make somebody too uncomfortable, or they'll evangelize in such a way that they'll make sure that they are way over communicating, way over uh, uh, complicating what the gospel actually is. Biblical evangelism includes several things. Here's what they are. Number one, the gospel 
And I hear people say all the time, you know, we should preach the gospel every week. We should make sure we're sharing the gospel. And then when you ask somebody what the gospel is, they can't tell you what that is biblically. In fact, this was one of the big learning things for me was that it was clearly identified what the gospel is in the scriptures. And we understand it's the good news of Jesus, but, but we got to understand what God said in his word what the gospel is. The, also, the uh, idea of eva evangelism includes an invitation to become part of the kingdom, to be saved, right? And then that last part is salvation. So, so you've got the gospel being presented, an invitation to be a part of this, and then salvation. Now, the gospel presentation, if you will, uh, and the invitation to become involved and become saved that is our responsibility. So we have the responsibility to evangelize, to share the gospel, to, 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 to invite somebody to be a part of this. But then salvation, we have nothing to do with. Like the, the whole idea of salvation uh, isn't up to you and to me. Only God, his Holy Spirit, can open hearts, can open minds, can open ears, can, can actually save somebody. You and I can't do that. Does that make sense? We have the responsibility to evangelize. We cannot save anyone. And I think sometimes people take responsibility for that. Now, can we grieve? Yeah, if somebody doesn't know the Lord. Can we, man, man, feel lament because somebody hasn't accepted Jesus? Absolutely. But we have no power to change somebody. And we have no power to make sure somebody is actually saved. That is between God and that person. And so... The gospel itself, when you start realizing, like if I was to ask somebody, hey, share with me what the gospel is, most times people can't do it biblically. They'll say things like, well, you know, Jesus paid the price for our sins, or they'll say something like the good news of Jesus, or, you know, that Jesus is the only way, that's the gospel. And yet Paul clearly writes to the early church in 1 Corinthians 15, because there, was some, there seemed to be a clarity about what the gospel is a couple of thousand years ago. As well, listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, now, brothers, I want to, what does that say? Clarify, meaning it's a little fuzzy, okay? Clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it, meaning it's a firm foundation for you. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Listen to this, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So when we understand what the gospel is, the gospel isn't just the cursory good news. It's, it's that Jesus died, and if you're following along in your app, you can fill this out. Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried... And that he was raised, beautiful, amazing thing. It is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. Amen? Amen. Like the whole idea of, of uh, empires from the beginning of time rising and falling, all leading up to this fulfillment of hundreds of prophecies and the birth of one, one man who is God and the anointed one, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and then lives a perfect life, raises people from the dead himself. Like the, the blind were able to see, the deaf were able to heal, the, hear, the mute were able to, to, to speak. 
And then he died for our sins. And then he was buried. And then he rose from the freaking dead. Guys, it should still shake us to the foundation of our core. Like it should still like make our knees knock a little bit that this actually happened. And if anybody has any doubt about that, I want to share with you what salvation actually is. I accept you as my savior. Uh, I don't want to be apart from you anymore. Uh, amen. Or something like that. You ever had somebody said, have you ever led somebody in a prayer like that? I have. But, but the problem with it is that in Romans 10, verse 9, Paul writes to the early church about what salvation is, probably because there was a little bit of confusion about what it actually means to be saved. Here's what Paul wrote. If you confess with your what? I mean, you can't keep it to yourself. That Jesus is Lord, meaning he's the boss, meaning you mean it, like whatever Jesus says goes. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Salvation means that you do what Jesus says, you tell somebody about it, and you believe in your heart without any doubt that Jesus rose from the grave. Here's what we do when we say some, something and try to oversimplify someone's salvation. Repeat after me, dear Jesus, I, uh, I'm sorry for my sin. I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for this free gift. Number one, this gift ain't free. Like, can you imagine if someone sacrificed for you their whole life? Say, say a parent, right? Sacrifice, put their house on a second mortgage, work three or four extra jobs to be able to put you through college, and you go through college, and you graduate, and you get out of college, and I got me a free education. Mama would be like, no, you didn't. <laughs> right? Well, this is, this is what we do. We minimize the, the, the impact of what God did by saying it's free. No, it costs God everything for you and for me. Like it's, it's incredible, right? And so when we, when we have somebody pray that little prayer, there, there is a risk, if we're not careful, that if they go out in a couple of weeks, you know if somebody comes to know the Lord and they want to be saved and things like that, somebody's going to come up to them and you don't really believe that, that a dead guy rose from the grave, do you? Well, yeah, that's what... And, and, but the problem is, is that if we don't make sure that they understand and truly believe that, there's going to be somebody come along and say, well, you know, that's really impossible. And if somebody says to them, I don't know, like they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And if they look at them and go, well, I'm not sure about it either. All I know is I'm saved. Guess what? If you say that, you're not saved. According to the scriptures. Like, it's real simple. It's not overly complicated, but sometimes we tend to, well, it's okay if you don't believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. As long as you accept his free gift of salvation, baloney. We got to be careful about this. And we got to make sure folks understand what they're doing before we, you know, and I'm not saying to, again, overcomplicate things, but at the, at the very least, we got to make sure people understand what it means to be saved. Then when we start talking about what it means to be at peace, right? And Jesus says from the very first public ministry sermon, Sermon on the Mount, which I absolutely adore him for, man, he came out swinging, man. And he says one thing that, uh, that, that have, has tended to 
confuse people until we understand what we're talking about here. But he said in Matthew 5, 9, the peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. But the problem with that is, not the problem with what he said, but the, you'll read down in, in, in Matthew 10 where Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. But then in Isaiah, he's predicted as, and called the prince of peace. I'm like, like at some point you go, wait a second, John 14, he says, my peace I give to you, but he says, not as the world gives. So what we start thinking about is not about Aunt Susie and Uncle Ricky getting along at the, at the, at the barbecue. It has everything to do with people being at peace with God, which is why we define evangelism as that those who are at peace with God, sharing the gospel, now that we know the gospel is, and inviting them to salvation so that they can be at peace with God as well. Amen? And that's what this all means. So how do you do it? Well, you got to prepare yourself a little bit first, right? Our heart set, our mindset has got to be correct when it comes to these things. So, so I want you to understand before I start giving you this list of things to, to make sure that we have. Nobody is perfect in any of these, and I'm not perfect in any of these too. So if you if you so I've got several things. You have one of them. You're like, man, I, I can't do. Does not mean you can. Number two, uh, first, it says you confess with your mouth and truly live by it that Jesus is Lord. Right. Number two, you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. If you got those two down, you're a believer, you are saved. Now you can prepare yourself to go evangelize. Does that make sense? Number three, you are praying for those you are evangelizing. Like if you were trying to do, okay, okay, I got to go do this, and I got to go make sure I do this, and Jesus said I'm supposed to do this, so I'm going to go tell people about Jesus, right? But if you haven't prayed ahead of time and asked God's Holy Spirit to go ahead of you, man, go ahead of you, stay behind you, I go around you, above you, and below you, man, all the way. Pray for those that you are evangelizing. Number four, you are guided by God's Holy Spirit. Like you do not rely on your own power, your own strength, your own eloquence or skill, right, which will fall short every time. Number five, this is a big one. You let God forgive your past. And who am I because of what I've done to go share the gospel with anybody? I'm no, I don't have the credibility. Listen, I don't have the credibility. You don't have the credibility. None of us have the credibility, which is why we need Jesus to come and save our behinds. Amen? That's it. And that's why we've got to make sure, listen, if you will not let God forgive you, which he already has done. This is why Jesus paid the price. He, was, he, was, he, was, he died for you and me, right? And he was buried and he rose from the grave to overcome all that. But a lot of times we, the reality is we just won't forgive ourselves because of what we did. Oh, yes, yes, I know God forgives me, but I just hold myself down in that. And I'm not going to forgive myself. Listen, if what you are doing is you're, you're putting your standards higher than God's by not forgiving yourself. If you're saying, God, I know you forgive me, but I got higher standards than you, man, you might have an issue there, right? There might be a problem with your relationship with God. You let God forgive your past. Number six, you are believing and you are reading and memorizing God's word. How many of us, we did a survey a few years back, and, and the survey came back that 80% of our church that come on Sunday mornings normally do not read their Bible on a regular basis. Guys, that's got, like, that, that has got to be a, a, a motivating factor for us. Like, I'm not going to be part of that 
80%. I'm going to read on a regular basis. I'm going to internalize this. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be able to, with eloquence and skill, um, like pop off every verse in the Bible. Listen, I tell people all the time, TGFG, thank God for Google. Stop putting the pressure on God. Well, then we'll get to a couple of things here in a minute. But, but I think a lot of people say, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. Yeah, you do. Listen, you got your, you got your phone. Like because, oh, I don't have my paper Bible, and I don't know exactly where to turn every page, right? Because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that's what we were required to do. And I don't know how to do that. Guess what? Hey, Siri, or hey, Google, or hey, Alexa, or whatever the Samsung folks do. What do you Samsung folks do? Pray. Pray, yeah. Maybe we all should, right? I don't know. But you look it up and you go, where in the Bible does it say whatever you're asking about? And guess what? Verses will pop up. Stop limiting yourself or denying yourself. Like this whole idea, listen, we've got massive computers in our pockets. Just look it up. Somebody says, well, what about this in the Bible? What about that in the Bible? Look, I'm not saying don't know where it's at, or, but, but listen, you can ask. I mean, you may not know all the answers. I do this all the time. People are like, well, what about this in the Bible? What about that in the Bible? Man, does it say this? Does it say that? I'm like, I know it probably does. Let me, hey, Google, hey, Siri, where in the Bible does it say blank? Right? And guess what? It pops up. Here's a few verses. Boom, I'm done, right? Check it out. It's, it's, it's really Guys, this is, there has never been a better time to evangelize than right now. Amen. What a wonderful time. Number seven, you long to be in heaven and long for others to be there with you. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready. I'm ready to be there, man. Like, I love being with you guys. And I love the life that God has given me. And I love being with my wife and family and enjoying things and things like that. But, but man, I want to do this for eternity, having with you guys. Number eight, you're not taking responsibility to save the lost, only to evangelize. You don't feel the weight of the responsibility that only God feels. His Holy Spirit is the only one that has the power, the ability, and the responsibility to convert someone. Number nine, oh, this is a big one, you don't chase. You do not chase. Somebody says, no. Well, let me rephrase that. Did Jesus ever do that? Rich young ruler comes out and he says, hey, sell everything you have and go give it, give everything full. Rich young ruler uh, walks away in despair. Jesus didn't go, oh, come on, let me rephrase that. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't mean everything. Thank <laughs> you, knucklehead. No, he didn't chase him. Like, again, give those things to God. Now, if he says to go and talk to that person again, if you're guided by the Holy Spirit, awesome, right? But you ain't chasing nobody, trying to rephrase things, trying to make things a little better. when to close my hamburger hole. Ah. <laughs> Number 11, you are prepared to answer questions and find the answers, right? Again, you got the phones right there with you for the most part. Yeah, man, be, be, like continue to read the scriptures and memorize the scriptures. But understand, you've got all kinds of ways. And, and there, there's nothing wrong with somebody saying, well, what about this? And you go, you know what, let me get back to you. Let me, let me, let me talk to some folks or let me do some research because I really don't know either. You have a balance, number 12, of grace and truth. 
meaning you're not so freaked out when somebody has a question or somebody uh, denies Jesus and you're like, oh yeah, what about that? And you're not overly this, oh, it's okay, no matter what you believe, that kind of thing too, but Jesus is one of the cool ways to go to heaven. No, no, listen, you got to have this balance of grace and truth. Jesus is the only way and he will help you through, no matter, help you through to this understanding no matter what you've gone through and no matter what you have, have done, right? Number 13, that you're going to share with. You genuinely love them. Because if they're just, a, okay, I'm going to close this sale, man. Like, like, listen, they're not your customer. They're, they're creations of God, which we're going to talk about in a second. Number 15, you genuinely want to get to know and understand the person or the unbeliever. Like, you don't just, if you help them where they're at, you may be able to share the gospel and address some issues and answer some questions based on their background, history, experience, whatever, right? Number 16, we're almost done. Give me about two more hours. I'll have, there's no game on today. Hey, we're Super Bowl champs, man. That's done, right? Number 16, you're willing to go wherever and whoever God directs you. To whoever and to wherever God directs you. Here's the thing. Some people are willing to go all the way across the world, but they're not willing to go across the street. Go wherever God says. If he says go across the world, go. Awesome, awesome, fantastic. And if he says to go across the street, go across the street. Number 17, you have a godly worldview. Let me share a couple of things with you that I think this actually has, has helped to guide me <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, give me an hour, uh, not, not two hours. So this is, uh, we understand God's triune nature, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm going to draw this in such a way. Thank you for the black marker, Steve. People had trouble People have a hard time reading my writing anyway. So can y'all see that? Oh, got to move this. Yes, thank you. Get the podium out of the way, man. All right. Everybody see that okay? I even wrote that legibly. Uh, give me a few minutes. All right. Okay, I'm going I'm to put this this way because I'm, I'm showing not... Uh, the father better than the son but submission right so the son jesus says i don't do anything except what the father tells me and then he says i'm going to send you the counsel of the holy spirit that will remind you of everything that i've told you so there's this submission but there's also this equality right so father son holy spirit doesn't have a better over one over the other it's just there's mutual uh distinction in these roles three persons in one god does that that make sense this trinity right you guys with me? So that's where we get the triune nature or the trinity from God. So anything God makes has a triune nature in it. Now, if you think about this, even, even the way he makes us, right? We have a mind. Amen is right. Body. Hallelujah. And soul. Right? And so if any one of these parts goes south or goes away, the rest of it goes away. So if your body is annihilated, your soul leaves the body and you got no mind. You ever heard somebody who's been in an accident say they're brain dead, their body doesn't move, we're not really sure about what's happened with the soul. If somebody's soul leaves their body, everything else goes away, right? So there's this triune nature. And everything God makes 
has that triune nature. Think about the fact that he made, I don't know, marriage, right? You have God as the head of the house or the, 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 the leader of the marriage. Then you have the husband. And I'm going to draw this this way as the wife, not lesser than, but as submission. So the husband submits to God, right? The wives uh, submit to the husbands is, is jacked up too. If the wife is disobedient or whatnot, the whole idea of that marriage gets messed up as well. Well, what about families? So you got the dad, right? And you got the mom and you got the kids. Whoo, handwriting's getting worse. hurts a little but that's all right i always say can you see it i don't ever ask if you can read it because i know the answer but you got the mom dad and the kids right and so kids obey your parents right wives submit to your husbands dads do not exasperate your children i mean you'll see this in absolutely everywhere well what about things like work Right? The triune nature of work. Did God create work? Yeah, he created man. So you're going to work the world, you're going to work the earth and subdue it. And you've got, in work, you've got owners. You've got managers. You've got staff. Frontline staff or whatever that says. One nation under. You can say it. Okay, thank you. Gettysburg Address, we're a, we're, a nation, we're, we're a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, right? So the citizens, right, the government is supposed to submit to the citizenry, supposedly, allegedly. What am I missing? What else did God create? Did he create the church? Yeah, right? So we got Jesus as our pastor. Then you got the pastors, right? Or the, the leaders. And then you've got the flock, right? Submit to the leaders of the church, right? The leaders are to submit to Jesus ultimately. So whenever any of these things like get out of whack, it doesn't work because it's not the way God designed it. Right? This is why when somebody got a higher plane than that, I, you know, I, I don't even answer that question. What I say is like, does, does that reflect what God made in his word? Because there have been times where there's been a guy and a girl come to me. They want to get married. I said, do you know Jesus? Well, he does. I don't. No, I can't marry you. Amen? Because it doesn't reflect this. It, it, it's kind of like, so everything I look at, I look at, try to look at it through the lens of, of the triune nature of God, how he made it. Now listen, here's the deal. The devil does not care about you. He could care less about your marriage. He could care less about your work. He could care less about the government. He could care less about families. He could care less about marriage. And he definitely don't care about you. But here's the thing, the reason he attacks all of those things, life, marriage, government, work, family, uh, the church, all that's under attack, you think, what is going on? The reason he is attacking these things is because he hates anyone, anything that looks like God. He hates that triune nature. And so when we understand that, we understand what's going on here. We'll be able to address things in such a way. Like, 
I love the Lord and what he's done. And I will say this to, to my, day, my dying day when it comes to the devil, screw that pawn. I ain't going to give him the time of day no more, man. And you neither. Understand what's actually happening. And we can do it. You know what's cool? God's plan of salvation even has a triune nature in it as well. Watch this video. I'm going to do a couple of things. At New City Church, we want to equip you to share the gospel. One of the tools we use is the three circles. So we live in this world that's characterized by brokenness. We don't have to look very hard to see that there is disease, conflict, pain in this world. This is not God's original design for us. However, God does have a perfect design. And the way that we have gone from his perfect design to brokenness is what the Bible calls sin. And sin is turning away from God's plan and going our way, leading us to brokenness. This sin eventually leads us to death, and death separates us from God forever. Now, God doesn't want us to stay in brokenness, so he has made a way, and that way is Jesus. Now, Jesus comes and he enters our brokenness, taking on our sin and dying on the cross. Three days after his death, he rises from the grave. His death and resurrection is the way we get out of our brokenness. Now, many of us have tried to get out of brokenness through relationships, success, substance abuse, education, even religion. But none of these things can get us out of brokenness. The only way out is for us to turn from our way and believe that Jesus died for us. Now, through Jesus, we can leave our way and grow in a relationship with God and pursue his design. And more than that, we can go. We can be sent back into brokenness to help lead others to Christ. Now there are two kinds of people in the world, those who are pursuing God's design and those who are still in brokenness. We have to ask ourselves, where are we? And where are those? Here's the cool, yeah, it's the cool thing. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Here's the cool thing. You can draw this on a napkin. You can even work somebody through this mentally uh, as you share the gospel, as you evangelize with other people and help them to become at peace with God. Help them understand that the, the brokenness, because we all know like the jacked upness of the world and the things that were going on. Right? Somebody might try alcohol. They might try drugs. They might try, oh, I don't know, even religion. They might try discipline. They might try you know, uh, porn, they might try, you name it, man. Anything else, because this brokenness leads to, I got to fill this hole in my life that only God can fill, right? And so the only solution is Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried for our sins, and rose from the dead, right? And then that's the only thing that's going to get us back to God's what? Design. That triune nature that we've been talking about that is help people to understand what's going on and to be saved. Amen? Listen, here's the deal. I don't want us to evangelize just for the sake of doing a spiritual activity. I want us to evangelize the way God said to evangelize, understanding what salvation is, meaning that, that someone truly believes in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead and they confess with their mouth that he is Lord and they mean it. 
We help them to be saved, right? And we understand, help them understand what salvation is. We share the gospel with them now that we know what the gospel is and invite them to be at peace with God. Amen? This is what we do. This is who we are. This is why we do this. And I want us to be equipped in those kind of things and to understand the attacks that are coming, to not be sideswiped or blindsided by those kind of things, understand why they're happening and why the devil, the enemy, hates anything that looks like God's. This plan of salvation, your triune nature. Thank you, buddy. What you've done is incredible. And you've never lacked. And Father, as we step into this season, whether it's stepping into Spring Hill with Believe Church, whether it's stepping into another part of the country, whether it's stepping across the street or across the aisle or across the, the office. May we be peacemakers that are truly blessed. Folks that understand that this isn't about people getting along, although as we understand that as believers we should and are commanded to. God, it's much deeper than that. We've said for a long time, we've got to have a higher vision than, than just people getting along. It's people being at peace with you. God, this costs you so much. This is not free. It is not a free gift of salvation. It, the price that you paid for for us to be with you. So Father, as we take communion together this morning, that we understand that we are not only committing to you, but committing to helping others to be at peace with you. We love you and we trust you and we thank you in Jesus' name. With enthusiasm, everybody in the house said, Amen. and everybody